My conversation today on Behind the Act is with Andrew Dawson. Andrew is a creative entrepreneur, a public speaker, and an advocate for victims of human trafficking. And today we're talking about work life versus personal life and how those often blend and how much of that is okay. And how being done is better than being perfect. And how being an empathetic leader leads to stronger teams and organizations. I'm Seth Schaefer. This is Behind the Act with Andrew Dawson. Just start with who you are and what you're known for right now. And it's not necessarily the comprehensive full yeah. who Andrew is, but... Yeah, man. Yeah. Um, I have an opportunity to lead a, an incredible organization called Operation for Freedom. And we work in, in human trafficking and it's good to be on the podcast today. So yeah, we, we've done this for a decade now. So yeah. So what is, when you say work in human trafficking, that can sound funny. Yeah. Uh, what do you, yeah. <laughs> what do you, well, do? yeah. And our, that's kind of a given, I guess, in our industry or the work that we're doing, we work in anti-human trafficking. So we, we go out and do direct outreach to prostitute women. We work with law enforcement. We train law enforcement. We, uh, reach out to find missing kids, work with families who are, um, in crisis, man. We've had numerous families who we've worked with over the past. It's been probably, um, just this past year, it's been incredible to see the families we've we've been able to help and, and make a difference in. So incredible. Yeah. 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 Um, I want to talk about, I know that there's a lot of content out there about, um, about your ministry, um, or what do you call it? Um, operational freedom. No, but do you call it a ministry though? Oh yeah. We'd sorry. Call it a ministry. Okay. Oh yeah. No, <laughs> yeah. we do. Yeah. We're definitely, um, cr- you know, faith-based, uh, we yeah. all consider ourselves. Yeah. Christians and yeah. And uh, our team does. Yeah, for sure. For sure. The, um, okay. So, but you're also entrepreneurial and you, you know, we're just talking about like a coffee company and I know that you're always. Yeah. Figuring out other ways to make money and to support yourself and support your family and support the ministry. And, um, I guess, talk to me about that mechanism that like, what attracts you about, um, the things that you do? Yeah. Well, you know, it's, uh, it is a creative endeavor, um, running an organization. You have to have, you know, people always look at the, the, uh, nonprofits and charities out there who, um, they, they see the mission, they see the objective, but behind the curtain is a, a team, is a, a leader, is someone who is very um, much an entrepreneur. And that's a whole aspect of charity work and working with organizations like ours that people really don't see that, that back end or that behind the curtain aspect of this is something that you, you bootstrap, you dream about, you have to have vision. And there's this... Uh, um, especially in the bootstrap phases, you know, when you're, when you're starting up, there's a whole, uh, creative process to the marketing and just understanding. I think you have to understand why we're doing this. You know, I think that's important. You, people really, uh, there's a, there's a combination of like entrepreneurship and like, why are we doing this? I think a lot of times we're in a hurry to slap up a website or put a business, you know, on the internet or, or get something going, a brand going. And we really don't focus on that why. And I think creatively and as an entrepreneur, that's, that's one of the things we miss a lot, you know, is that, is that why of like, why are we doing this? What's the core foundation of the, the motivation in, in moving forward with this? And, and that's that behind the scenes stuff that every, every creative has to, to kind of get at a baseline, you know, whether you're doing media, whether you're, you're focusing on something in it, um, 
you really, there has to be this core, like, why am I doing this? And I think a lot of times we do it for money, which is probably the wrong reason we do it for, um, you know, branding or attention, or maybe it's just a cool thing to do. But yeah, I think connecting to your why is, is something that that's been a, you know, why are we doing this? Why are we working in human trafficking, anti-human trafficking work? And that's kind of at its basis, that core of, of motivation for entrepreneurship. When I hear working in human trafficking, it seems like, okay, you go over to the, you know, the person who's been trafficked and said, Hey, you shouldn't do this anymore. And they go, okay, cool. And then they come out and yeah, no, it's not that, it's yeah. not that simple. And also there are stereotypes that I think are, are, uh, largely unhelpful for the, for your ministry. Uh, I guess, can you talk about those things? Like wh what does the process look like and, and what are the stereotypes that um, might be good for people to understand are wrong and unhelpful in the process of protecting from somebody getting into it um, and also helping somebody get out. Yeah, I mean, you know, we uh, we fight a lot the preconceptions of human trafficking, and a big hurdle we have to overcome is those uh, are those those preconceptions people have. You know, you watch TV, you watch movies. There was recently a movie that just came out. Uh, Sound of Freedom, incredible movie and um, great for awareness. But we tend, I, I would say most of America tends to fall into this, uh, a, a victim of human trafficking is abducted. They're in a Walmart parking lot and they're um, walking out from shopping and a van pulls up. There's guys in masks. They throw them in a van, duct tape them, you know, their hands and legs. And then they end up in, in a basement somewhere being exploited. And I think that is less than, you know, there's a statistic out there I just read a few months ago, less than 1% of, of the trafficking cases in America are abductions, but a majority of them are these grooming situations. And that's really the cases that we deal with are, are grooming situations. So we're helping a family, we're, we're working on a missing kid case where this individual, this typically 12, 15, 16 year old individual is being groomed by like a Romeo pimp, uh, a good looking guy who's lured them away from home, built a relationship with them and offered them things that maybe in their difficult or abusive home life, they weren't receiving. And they have been lured away from home. They're in a relationship. They consider this uh, a boyfriend, girlfriend relationship. And then through like a massive process of manipulation, they end up being trafficked on the streets. And so there's not a chain around their ankle. There's not, uh, they're not bound. They're not captive wanting out of a jail cell anywhere, but it's really uh, a psychological manipulation. And that is a majority of the trafficking cases that we deal with. So the girls are walking the streets. You could be at Figueroa street in LA or on a track in Las Vegas. And these girls aren't, they aren't tied up. I mean, we have interacted with hundreds of girls over the years and they you it seems like they've chosen the life, you know? So. Yeah. Um, so how do you overcome that? I mean, it's tough. I mean, our advocates who work with our organization, typically ladies have been trained well to, to build that relationship. And typically there's a moment where, uh, an individual who's being trafficked comes to a, a crisis moment. It could be, for example, a young girl gets pregnant and she doesn't want the same life for her baby. She knows that the pimp's going to hold this baby against her, maybe take it away from her and say, Hey, you got to work the streets and I'll let you see your baby. And so there's a crisis moment. Uh, it's built on relationship, someone who knows trauma well and knows how to, to interact with those individuals on the street. Um, and that would be just a typical 
girl who's been trafficked on the street that we reach out to through direct outreach. I mean, a missing kid situation, it could be um, completely different, but typically it's, um, you know, it's uh, through that relationship building process and it takes time. So we always say rescue is a process yeah. and not an event. And I think in, in our world, in our culture, when we think about trafficking, we think of rescue as law enforcement kicks in a door, pulls a victim out, you know, takes them to the ambulance and they've been rescued and they're good. But in our worlds over the last decade of doing this work, it's a long process of building trust with these uh, trauma victims and getting them to a point of like, hey, I want out, I want help. And that, that's, a, that's a long process. So, yeah. One of the first thing that, things that comes to mind for me uh, with the idea of working in human trafficking is uh, the risk of retaliation and keeping you and your volunteers and your team, your family safe. Um, how do you process that? Yeah. Like you, where, like, where yeah. is the, where is the risk? Is there risk? I mean, obviously there's risk, but, um, and, and also like, do you at times develop relationships with the pimps as well and like, um, help re-educate them or, or I don't know, like, yeah, it look like, you know, there's always a, always a risk when you're going into places where, um, people are, are vulnerable and hurt and broken, whether that's drugs and alcohol addiction, um, you know, trafficking, whatever, you're putting yourself at risk because you're going after someone who is, who's never going to come through, um, a local human services, uh, you know, resource in town, a homeless shelter or something, you know, I'm not going to walk into the doors of a church, you know, unless you go to them and help them. And so you're, you're obviously, yeah, there, we take precautions, you know, security wise, you know, that's kind of a given, um, you know, our, our, our approach has been, um, to keep our, uh, organization and that kind of stuff out of the name and that kind of thing out of the the uh, operations that we're doing. So we come in as uh, a complete anonymous group. You know, there's no, it's not like a flagship event. We're wearing, wearing t-shirts with your little yeah, t-shirts yeah. and, you know, uh, on Missy Kid searches and things like that uh, in the public eye or outreaches that we do where that's appropriate, we do. But typically the operations where we're doing direct outreach, it's very, it sounds sexier than what it is uh, undercover. You know, it's, we're going in um, under the cover of a charity group feeding people, or we're we're doing you know open source intelligence work where we're very discreet and clandestine in in the work that we're doing. So yeah. you know that yeah, you, there's some precautions there. Uh, we have um, interacted, and um, I know pimps and promoters personally, uh, especially in Las Vegas, where we do a ton of the work that we've developed relationships with. They don't know uh, who we are, you know what we do and our purposes, but um, obviously, but we have built those relationships, but our, our primary focus has been like to go in, build that relationship, uh, very secretly, um, as a, as a resource point to these, to these individuals being trafficked. And, and when I say trafficked, that's these girls being prostituted on the streets in Vegas and build that relationship and pull them out. So yeah, we, we, um, we've got some scary guys. I always say we have scary guys with guns and beards and tattoos, you know, who, or keep us safe and uh, know what they're doing, you know, law enforcement, that kind of stuff. Yeah. Right. Oh, yeah. How long have you been doing this? Since uh, 20, uh, into 13, 2014. Yeah. Okay. That's yeah. Nine, 10 years. And yeah. you're, okay. So that's at a point where uh, things, at least with my experience, like that, like things start to feel like they're on rails a little bit as far as like the operations. And, but you're, you're, you're also ready to like kind of push it into the next steps. Um, what, what keeps you up at night and what are you, what are you, what are your fears, I guess, as you're moving forward right now? 
yeah, I think biggest for your man would be, would be effectiveness. You know, it's, uh, um, you, you ride this balance of showing the world that you're successful, you know, a charity work is fundraising, you know, that that's funding all of our operations. It's funding all of our aftercare resources and those kind of things. You ride that rail of, you know, um, are we successful? Have we put wins on the board? You know, we put points on the board. Are we doing the job that we're saying we're doing and always balancing that with completely diving off into helping, you know, an individual on a case somewhere and forgetting the rest. And so there's that, that balance there. I think one of my biggest fears is just not, is having too much on my plate and going in too many different directions and not really focusing in and doing the thing that's the most beneficial for our organization. There's a lot of times I'll sit and journal and, you know, write down like what brings us the most impact in a victim's life? Like what really helps this victim the most? That's the baseline mission is find the vulnerable and offer hope. And that, that to me is probably, you know, my biggest, most forefront thought, like, are we, are we doing the best that we can to help those uh, that we're serving and then trying to, to push the noise down. And I think any entrepreneur has to do that. They've got to trim that fat and go, um, if you're trying to make money, you know, it's like, what, what brings, what are the tasks that I got to do that bring in the most that are money that bring in the, that are the most benefit to my organization or my company right now. And, uh, I think we all have to do that as creatives and go, Hey, I can, cause as a creative or as a, an entrepreneur, you're inspired by a lot of stuff. I mean, you've got social media, you've got advertisements, you've got, you know, books and all this inspiration coming in, but you really have to, and that's getting back to that why of like, okay, is this taking me in the right direction that I need to go? Um, and this is really who I want to be and what I want to do. And so those are a lot of the like internal things that I think about, um, as an organizational leader and in this work, I mean, it's, you know, and I think we do a good job of acting like we, uh, especially in, in my industry, like we all do a great job of acting like we do, um, the best work, we're the best at it. We, we know what we're doing. And to be honest with you, man, I don't, you know, working with law enforcement, even getting into some of the vice units and these guys who are doing really incredible law, law enforcement work, you really realize like, and this is no shade toward law enforcement, but even in those moments, you're like, this is kind of, it's not like shooting from the hip, but it's like, we don't, we're not, this isn't NCIS or this isn't like the movies portray, like we're figuring this out as we go. There's not a formula that works. No. Like, it's just like, you have to. Yeah. And I think you show up and work who's hard, successful yeah. or you see someone who's, is killing it in their creative endeavors and you just go, man, they just got to figure it out. They're just, there's nail it. They're not questioning anything. And so one of the things that I'm afraid of is like, um, or that I'm not afraid of, but that I, that just is on my heart a lot is like, you know, should I have this figured out better? You know, like, should I be more, uh, you know, more professional as far as like, I should have all the answers and you don't, you know, it's a lie, man. Yeah. So, you know, we've got to get past that. Yeah. I, I wonder, okay, two things. Well, we'll just start with the family question. So you, how do you balance all of this output and undeniably important work that you do? Right. Like, so, so it's easy if you, again, let's go to the copy company idea or yeah. a film company or whatever that yeah, requires some justification for its importance in life. And it seems to me like the ministry aspect is quite a bit easier, at least what you're doing in it, uh, quite a bit easier to justify like why it matters. Yeah. Um, but then there's also 
family life balance and yeah. work life balance. Um, what have you found to be successful with that? Um, mm. or, I don't know or, if I'm or, good at that or not. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Sure. It's tough. It is. That's a, that's a tough thing. You know, I think you have to, gosh, I mean, I, in my life, uh, we're always fighting that battle. And I think you have to be, um, we, I have to be, um, mindful. I don't know what the word is mindful of, of this is a priority in my, in my life. I mean, even as we get busier, uh, as an organization, those family moments, family time, learning how to compartmentalize and really shut off your, your entrepreneur spirit and creativity to, to say, Hey, this is a part of, um, this is a part of my creative process. You know, I'm successful because my family is successful. And I think, um, valuing that as a pillar of our entrepreneurship and creativity, whether it's a coffee company, you know, whatever you're running, like looking at this going, Hey, this refuels my tank. And, um, you know, you only have a few years with your kids at home. I think that's just setting entrepreneurship aside. Like you have a, a responsibility and you have this, this amazing moment and time in your life to, to raise a family. So <laughs> I always have those thoughts in my head, like, Hey, this is, this helps me su be successful as an entrepreneur and a creative to, to let my family be a priority in my life. And I think we, um, I think a lot of guys will sacrifice that and say, Hey, I've got to put in more hours. But, um, there's a, we were talking before we even started recording, there's a bandwidth of like your, your mental aspect of what you can handle. That's a percentage. And right. so if you, you're giving your work 99%, um, your family's going to get less of that. But I, I think we should look at it as like, Hey, this is a, this is a tank that can be filled to fuel me into, um, you know, my entrepreneurial endeavors. But yeah, I fight that. I mean, that's something I probably don't have a great answer for, but there, there, I mean, just this morning, my, my wife and I were talking and we're like, Hey, let's, let's drop the kids off at, at church tonight. And we're going on a date and we're going to, you know, spend some time together and talk about life and our dreams together. And so I think, you know, having the right partner too is, is huge. I mean, Having yeah. someone who is a, a co-partner in your dreams. And, and I think a lot of guys, um, I did this early on, you, you make the mistake of communicating every whim and every idea you have to your wife and, and to them, sometimes that comes off as, you know, we're doing this, you know, and you're just going, no, I'm processing. And so I've learned how to like process that stuff internally and then, you know, and then have those conversations later. But, uh, family is a, uh, a, you know, just a ride the horse again here, repeat what I said before, but it's, it's a tank that fuels your entrepreneurship and creativity. Yeah. If you look at it as a value to what you're trying to accomplish, um, I think it'll change your life. I mean, I think it'll, yeah. it'll become a value. And if you, just like you value that resource, that, that subscription, that thing that nails it for you at work, you know, that thing that you're like, man, I got to have this in my job. Well, if you put your family in, in that category too, I think it'll, it helps a ton for me anyway. Yeah. I, I know for me, the, idea that yes you've got limited bandwidth from a day-to-day -day standpoint and then you only have a so much runway called life right and, yeah and like yeah and that short time with the kids I, I feel like I'm always living in this like present nostalgia like I'm nostalgic about today all the time you know yeah, yeah because yeah. it's going away and I see pictures of them as babies and it's like oh my gosh and and it it uh it definitely promotes a level of um awareness that I could disguise as fear or vice versa around the subject of, of um, 
how I'm balancing all of the output, which may, brings me back to, I guess, another question, you know, you, you say like, you got to trim the fat of, yeah. of, um, like the things that don't work well, the things that do work well in your life, um, within the business. I think that there's a way to do that to a clinical level that kills inspiration. Um, so I'm, I'm wondering, I guess what, what your thoughts are on that. Like, it's easy to go like, oh, well, there's this one thing and I only do this one thing and I focus on it, but then it's like, but I freaking hate that. Like, or like, I don't enjoy that. I've like, I've tried to figure that out with my business too. It's like, there are things that I do that aren't necessarily the most profitable, but it's fun and I like it. Um, and that gives me more inspiration to be able to dump into that more profitable thing instead of just doing the like, for example, no offense to anybody that does deposition videos, but if that was my thing, like, uh, you know, I could probably like build some system that makes it super easy and super cheap and makes a ton of money for people or something. Right. But that's boring as hell for me. So <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Yeah, no, I, I'm with you there. I'm, I'm, I think we're in the same mindset of you get interested in different things, you know, and it's hard to, I, if I get interested in something, I always have this question and this is probably wrong, but I'm like, how do I connect this to trafficking? Because I'm interested in it. You know, um, I love mountain biking and I've gotten into it the last couple of years and, uh, I'm like, okay, how does this benefit me? How, how do I curb this into trafficking? Because this is this thing I chose or this is this thing I'm, I'm into. Um, this is a passion that I have. How do I connect? How do I connect this to it? So yeah, I think there's, you've got to have some, some space and margin in your life. You know, I think if we pack out our schedules, um, and we do trim that fat and we focus in on that one thing, you're going to ride that rail of burnout. And so there has to be great stuff happens in the margins of life. And I think we fail as entrepreneurs because we're hustlers. I mean, we hustle, we're working, I'm a, I'm a late night worker. So sometimes, I mean, just this last week, I worked till four or five in the morning, you know, you know, it was just, that's quiet time. And I'm, 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 put, I'm putting in the time it's dark. It's like, I can focus and get this job done. And there's um, no appropriate distractions. That no, nobody's texting. Like, yeah. Nobody's calling you. They're all sleeping. Yeah. So, um, and, uh, you know, that's not a diss against morning people. It's just, it's just a nice time to work for me anyway. Yeah. So I think we can max out our schedule and forget to put in those, those margins for, um, creativity. I mean, if you're a creative person, you're not going to just stop that and be creative in one zone. You're cursed with this, this thing. I think you have to accept it about yourself and to be able to dabble into other things, but, um, always being aware, like, Hey, you know, if this is something we want to move for forward, maybe getting those right, you know, I've got to get the right people in my life. And we've been fortunate just this last year to bring on a team who is powerful in areas that I'm not. And that, and I'm such a, I don't know if I'm a control freak. I guess I am, but I have so much input into those things. It's hard to, because I've bootstrapped so long, it's changing from bootstrap entrepreneur, doing everything yourself from marketing to legal, to the actual work shifting from now we have a team to do this. Um, either you like that or you don't. And I think you can, you can kind of get some stuff off your plate that gives you some room to, to dream and grow. I think honestly, good things come out of that margin where you are dabbling in those areas. And that's another thing that, that'll fill your tank. Cause I'm always looking at, you know, different, um, aspects and, and opportunities, even just to be brutally honest, um, you know, I'll look at other business models that have nothing to do with trafficking and go, man, that would be so cool to jump into that and to, to be an entrepreneur and just to bootstrap that and start that up. And that I have to go, okay, is this, 
Is this just me and my mind and my interest running or is this, um, or am I, am I going towards this goal with our organization and have I committed to this? So there's a battle there that probably I haven't figured out, but, um, I think we all struggle with that. I think that's, that's something that, you know, you can't, you can't lock yourself into, um, and I think there's, it goes back to that why, not to just harp on that, but yeah. like, if you're doing, like you said, deposition videos, if you're doing something solely for the money and you don't, you're not into that industry, I, I think you have to rewind and you've probably made a mistake years ago by getting into something for the wrong reason. And so I, I think as entrepreneurs, you've got to really spend some time. I mean, if that's six months, I, you know, we had to spend some time and let this kind of crock pot in the previous work we were doing in youth counseling to go, is this, you know, trafficking full-time? Is this work in anti-trafficking work something that that is uh, core to who we want to be and that why and that connection? And, uh, you know, if you're just doing something for um, the money, you know, that's a definite drain on creativity uh, for sure. You've got to feel like you're, you're putting something out there, a piece of art that whether it's working for a charity or whatever, roasting coffee, like this is an art that I'm putting out there and yep. uh, it has to be something from your core. I don't know if that if that makes sense. But. Yeah, no, it does. I, I, I think I'm, uh, not, I'm not the guy with the answers. I can Google stuff. It's but. good. Yeah, there you go. There you go. I, I think um, that process of delegation. I, you know, I've seen you engaging with and doing a good job. And like you say, you're a control freak, which can be good and helpful for quality is like consistency. But it's obviously muting and uh, in flow for the output um, because you become a bottleneck and people are afraid and that you know because it, I don't know what I'm going to make you know where I'm going to make mistakes or whatever. So, um, the, uh, I think it's interesting just talking about that process of, okay, you're smaller and now you're growing. Where do you feel like you, um, or how are you doing, I guess is a better question for me on, um, on that delegation process and, um, and the pain of letting go of, of accuracy and quality and like where, where and how do you keep, you know, um, like how far do you let it get away from the accuracy and perfection, quote unquote, that you wanted, realizing that having a team will, over time, allow for more throughput for the ultimate goal, the ultimate why. Yeah, you know, you know, I think, um, I think it's a lie that we think that it's uh, the quality aspect. I think that's a lie. I think we we make up this myth in our head that my opinion or my my um, my preference on this design project on this, you know, work project is, is more quality. And I've had to let go of the myth in my own life of this is less quality. And I think, I think it's not less quality. It's just a different preference, a different aspect of a different designer, a different uh, manager, somebody who's working this process through their own creative process. And if you can change that, take that quality out and say, Hey, this is less quality, unless it actually is less quality, you know, right. it's a physical thing, you know, you're putting drywall up and you're going, man, this is not quality, you know? Right. Um, unless it's a objective thing that you can see, I think, uh, probably, and this is just my opinion, like in a majority of those cases, it's more of a different preference. And if you can say, Hey, this is a different way, it's still, still a, a, obtaining the goal. We're still getting there. I would have done it differently, but it got it done. Now it's off my plate right. and it creates some space for me to uh, focus on some better aspects of, of whatever I'm trying to accomplish. I, I think that's a, a process of changing from startup and entrepreneur bootstrapper 
to going into more of a build phase. And I think right. we've got different phases we go through. You know, we've got bootstrap, build, and then this kind of legacy. I don't know, I'm just making this up, but like, it's just in my thoughts, like you've got this phase of like, okay, we've we've built this and now it's it's going beyond, it's bigger than who we are, you know? Yeah. And I think we have a hard time, I do especially, is going from that bootstrap startup phase. And when do you make that transition? When do you look at this as, okay, I got to release some of this. That's that's an age-old question, man, for a lot of CEOs, a lot of people who are doing stuff. Um, now, if you're an artist and you're painting paintings, you know, obviously you're the artist, you know, you're the one doing that. But I think as an entrepreneur, you can you can learn a new skill set. And I think one of the best things that entrepreneurs are really good at is learning new skill sets on a quick turnaround. And I think that's one of those skill sets you have to put on your list is go, I've got to learn the skill set of going from being this this single unit and guy who does everything to trusting people and learning how to get what I want done through these people. And then also releasing them. One of the worst jobs I would ever want is uh, a boss telling me exactly how to do everything. And if you have the, that empathy for that person and release those creatives into their work, Steve Jobs said this uh, years ago. He's like, I don't hire people, uh, smart people, and have you know, and tell them what to do. I hire smart people, and they tell me what to do. And I think that is a, such a simple statement, but it's so much more uh, complex to put into play in whatever you're doing. Uh, that's that's a tough one, you know. So yeah, 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 yeah. We uh, so Hoptocopter started basically as me being the director and um, creating films. And then we got to a point where we needed to grow the company so that I I had the myth in my head that running a company would be um, give me more time to be with the family. Um, not true, um, but <laughs> I tried. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. and so when we were growing the team and handing stuff off, there was, I would say, it felt at least at the time, like an objective quality loss as I was transitioning and handing stuff back over to a team that eventually brought it back up to you know quality. Um, but I had buffer in my pricing by a factor of at least one decimal point um, that uh, allowed me to charge more for lower quality than what I was doing and still be highly valuable to the client and still be providing an excellent product, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and that was a weird transition. Um, but just I just remember the the delegation aspect. It's like... Well, and understanding people's calling too, I think we... Um, I've seen this working in the church world, you know, um, if you're a person of faith or, um, and this word calling is, is super popular in, um, it's a part of the church culture, you know, you don't own someone's calling and their creative journey, you know, in the entrepreneurial aspect, it's they, every person who works under you or with you has their own passion, desire, dreams, and especially in that creative entrepreneurial world, if they're if they're a part of that process of startup, they probably have some sort of motivation to just like you. Mm-hmm. And so being okay with maybe having them in your life as a part of their journey and then them going on and doing their own thing is is a little bit of an ego ego hit to go, hey, why aren't you just serving me and my organization or my business or my, you know, creative outlet here for eternity. Like, why isn't this, why aren't you just my guy? You know, right. And understanding like people may be with you for a season. And if you can steward and if you can add water to the growth of their journey and see them launch off, I think that's one of the greatest privileges as a, as a creative or an entrepreneur or a leader of an organization or boss or whatever is to be able to say, Hey, they came, they worked with us, but there was a moment where 
it was time to, to, for them to go on to that next phase. And I think we hold on to people, you know, I think we, we really, uh, do a bad job of this in the church. I think we do this in, in business. I think we do a bad job of this in, um, you know, ministries, entrepreneurial endeavors, whatever politics, like it's just, Hey, you're my people. You can't leave. And we're, we're bad at letting people leave. Right. And we're bad at letting people go and pursue their dreams because you wouldn't want somebody holding you back you right. know, from what you're doing. Yeah. And if you're bringing in high caliber people, they're obviously going to have vision. They're yeah. going to have, you know, mission and they're going to have dreams. They're going to have things they want to pursue. So yeah. what are, what are uh, leadership specifics, I guess, um, and, or just ideas uh, of how you address that problem then for your team? Yeah. I mean, how, making sure that, you know, they're happy and inspired and, uh, feel welcome to leave. Yeah. I, I think it's more internal, um, with you. I, I think we look at leadership as this is something I'm doing to this person. You know, I'm going to leadership yeah. them, you know, and I'm going to leadership, you know, like that, that happens so much. I think it's, uh, getting your, your own head right with these people and looking at them as a human, you know, like this is an actual human on this planet. That's the issue with AI these days, you know, we're, we're eliminating so, jo so many jobs and it's changing the face of our culture. We're losing that humanity aspect of, of this creative process. And you, you've got to look at this person as a whole human with a family and, someone who, um, is a, a, a spiritual being and, um, that not to sound too kooky or anything, but, you know, I think that's, I think it's valuing human life. I think it's valuing having empathy. I think we have a lack of empathy in our leadership. Uh, we have all these great books and leadership, um, trainings on how to grow an organization, how to build numbers, how to, how to be bigger, better, bigger, better, bigger, better. And we lose this aspect of, Hey, you know, there are so many organizations, industries where there's just a wake of, of broken families, of, of dysfunctional families, of addictions. I mean, there's some crazy, even in like the, the ministry world and industry where I, or the area that I work in charity, there, you know, people who burn out and just because of this lack of like looking at this person first as a person and uh, an individual with a family and saying, Hey, how do we how do we prioritize that over, over, um, this, this money-making endeavor, this things, these numbers on the board, you know, and I think it's just more fun to work with people who, um, you resonate with and, um, you're in that journey together and it's not such a, a demanding focus on, obviously we got to pay the bills, you know, there's that too, you know, you can't get too esoteric and crazy out here and in this ambiguous philosophical land, but you, you've also, but there's a, there's a huge portion of it that goes, Hey, we're going to, when it comes down to it, um, I've got to value this person in their journey. You know, I, I don't know. That's just some thoughts I've, I, I occasionally think about, you know, on your, uh, best days heading into work at 11 PM, you know, not, <laughs> yeah, no, uh, yeah. what, what drives you the most, um, either showing up to work or leaving work, like, like your, your best days, you're like, yeah. You know, I'm not a set hours, um, kind of person. It's more about sitting on the couch at night just to be, um, real. It's about, you know, when I gather around the table with my family, um, having this sense of breathing deep going, I accomplished that, that thing I needed to accomplish today. And I feel like I, I put in the effort. I did all that I could do within my control. Um, there's a lot of factors you can't control. And, um, 
based on what I could control that day, uh, I showed up and did and and did what I should have done that was under my control. Whether the kid was found, whether a victim was pulled off the street, whether a family was reunited, um, you know, uh, whether it was just a menial admin task, uh, you know, my top three for the day. Um, being able to sit on a couch at night with my family, watch a TV show, or just be with my family playing a game and just, just go, Hey, I got it done. Like I got that, that thing done that I needed to do and have the, the, um, relief or the, the guilt, you know, not there of like, man, I, I didn't make it happen today. I think that's, that's that when I show up to work, it's, it's not about getting there in the morning. It's not about when I leave, you know, what those thoughts are. It's about, Hey, did we do what we had to do under our control? Yeah. Yeah. So that makes me think about how the world has been very uh, saturated with exposure to easy dopamine with the phones and, of course, like the, the traditional, you know, chemical um, drugs and alcohol and anything. Um, but cheap dopamine and easy output and just go to Facebook and scroll, I feel has replaced um, in so many circumstances um, the idea of having to put hard work into things and getting the dopamine from that and getting yeah. the, the wins yeah. from hard work. So, um, what are you seeing and how have you with your team, um, been able to motivate? I mean, obviously I think it's through leadership and you just setting an example, but, um, maybe I'm wrong. Um, why hard work matters. Yeah. You know? I think we were, we were meant to have a little stress. We were meant to to go out and hunt, you know, I've listened to a ton of different podcasts that kind of have similar, similar thought, um, on this, but, you know, I think it's, a, you know, something we were meant to do, you know, we, I think the, um, pursuit of easy, the pursuit of, um, it's popular to have passive income and to not have, you know, to sit on the beach and to be on, basically be retired as an entrepreneur at 30 years old. Um, you know, I think that's, that's a myth that, um, speaks to us because we, we do have to work and pay the bills. It speaks to us like, man, that would be nice. But when you have that and you attain that, or you, there's so many case studies of people who get to a point of no work and no, you know, the uh, retired people, you look at the studies on people who retire and kind of lose that purpose. Um, it, it's, it's damaging to our, our mentality. And so I think we were meant, I think understanding like we were meant, I have to do this, like get up in the morning and go, I was meant to, to go out and hunt and gather and, and to survive. You were meant to do that. And I think finding a, a passion in that, you know, finding a, a purpose in that going, Hey, this is my responsibility to my family is, uh, it's important to, to work hard and, yeah, I think burnout comes when we don't have the benefits of, and we don't see the progress of our work. I think we burn out when it's um, a mundane thing. We burn out when it's um, hard work with no payoff. You know, there's no uh, piece of art at the end of the the rainbow when we get to all this this crazy journey. And I I think just identifying like I'm working hard, but there's there's a, a purpose to this. There's a there's an end game here. This is worthwhile. And, uh, this is something that needs to be in the world, you know? So I think, um, work is important. Hard work is important. Stress is, is something we need to experience, not obviously overloaded, but, um, 
it's, we need to be stressed. I think we operate, I think we're meant to operate in that battle zone. You know, you've got to become a, a warrior in that, you know, whether, no matter what you're in, you know? Yeah. 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 I hit a, well, I, I burnt out as I was joked. I was like, yeah, I'm burning the candle at both ends and a couple of places in the middle. Yeah. And I did that for a few years. And then once I thought that I was completely burnt out, I went like 10 degrees further than that on like being tired and over pushing. And then, um, and then after that, um, through stock footage a lot, um, mm -hmm. but through other mechanisms as well, found myself at a state of being that kind of retired 30 ish year old, yeah. um, for, which is awesome. For, I mean, well, I, I mean, I'm, I'm not saying I'm not, this is not me pretending like we have some, like a, a but you built something, something. he built, we, we, and we did and it, and it did its thing and it's fine. So I'm talking about a moment, mm -hmm. um, and that moment, um, made it so I didn't have to show up and do work, um, every single day in order to, or like crazy stress about stuff. And, um, that was my first experience of depression. Um, uh, there was really, it was good cause I really needed it cause I was hiding it from myself forever. Mm -hmm. Um, I needed to get through the, that stuff and I'm still working through therapy, uh, around PTSD of burnout and, and, um, and just learning how to better calculate my, my, um, relationship with everything having to do with, um, with, uh, death or identity and <laughs> the things that you've got to understand, um, to be okay, or at least I do, um, but then also past traumas. But I guess my point is, is that, um, that, that yeah, retirement sucks. I'm just kidding. No, um, I, like I, I like I, I, I felt for a moment that um, that idea of you don't have to do anything, and so that's what, something we were talking about before this podcast is. Um, I feel like I could do something like this podcast, even though I haven't released the first episode yet, as we're you know at the moment of recording this. Um, but I feel like I could do this for the rest of my life and enjoy it because it's yeah. conversations that are real and it forces me to connect. It forces me to be social. Um, <laughs> that's important. Um, and it helps other people be able to share their ideas and their stories. And, um, that all means something to me. Like, obviously it'd be nice if it had some pay attachment at some point, but I don't need it to, you know, like it's like I, for the fulfillment aspect of it. Yeah. Point, yeah. So. yeah. We live yeah. these lives of, there's so many guys who ladies too, who live this life of, quiet desperation and they, they grind out a job and there's a, there's a fear factor. There's a moment of courage where you, you jump into something and there's a hope that you can do this full time, you know? Um, and I think it takes that, it takes some courage to, to get into that place where if you're working a job that it's mind numbing and, um, it's not creative and you are creative, uh, I hope you would like, I hope anybody would have the courage to step out and, and to start pursuing that, whether it's a few hours a week or whatever, but, yeah. um, there's just something about being in a place where, um, you're pursuing something that you feel like humanity needs, you know, like we need this on the, on the planet, um, whatever you're producing, you know, whatever you're, you're making, uh, whether that's business or, or yeah. something else, you know, I think you can do that. I define myself as certain things at certain times. So I'm a filmmaker, even though I didn't want to be, I just accidentally became a filmmaker and I want to be a musician and I'm engaging in that, but I, it's easy for me to have this very binary, correct or not correct view of my engagement with that. And anything other than that is wrong, um, for me to be doing, and that's entirely inaccurate. Um, so when I'm building the van or I'm roasting coffee for the van or 
I'm adding new things into the studio space. Um, these are all, and or doing research, entrepreneurial research on how the music industry flows. Like that's all really valuable, good stuff. And so in my head, I should be writing and recording, re recording and releasing songs. Um, and yes, that should be some output from me at some point when I get to there. Um, but all of the other things also have equal value because I'm showing up and I'm doing something that brings fulfillment to me um, and meaning to the rest of yeah. all of me, right? I guess, you know, how do you reconcile uh, your, we'll call it distractions away from the ministry? Um, yeah, it, 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 it makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. And understanding that that's actually helping you be you, you know? Yeah. I, you know, it's, it's, a uh, that's tough, man. It's, it's an identity thing, um, that I don't have figured out, you know, is my identity, uh, an organizational leader, this guy who works in anti-trafficking, uh, something I've committed to and passionate about. Is that my identity? Is my identity, uh, a, a dad, you know, of girls, I have two daughters. Um, is that my identity? I, I think separating yourself from what you do and who you are is, is super important. Um, in my life anyway. And I struggle with that. I'm, I'm, I'm yeah. on that same page, you know, where, yeah. where anything else seems like this is a, a waste of time, even though I enjoy it and I want to do it. Uh, gosh, that's a waste of time for this, this other thing, you know, that I, I should be pouring my life into, but I'm just today, just day by day. Like I'm not passionate about this. And I, I think we, I think it's something that we don't talk about a lot. People, everybody struggles with. I think a lot of people struggle with that. Like this is, uh, something I'm doing that I'm passionate about, I'm good about, I'm successful in, but I'm not passionate about this today. You know, um, yeah. this is not who I want to be today. I want to be that musician over here today. Yeah. Today, I don't want to be making a film, doing a podcast, doing client work, roasting, whatever, you know, yeah. um, that's, that's that, uh, you know, whether it's a product of social media and our low attention span, you know, mm -hmm. and we, we shift so much, um, I've had to fall back and I haven't, I obviously don't have this figured out either. Um, but I struggle with the same things of, you know, this isn't, this is what I'm doing. Um, this is not who I am. I'm a, I'm a human being, you know, and that comes with desires and dreams and changes of mind. And, um, you know, I think we find our identity in our, our creative pursuits a lot, especially when you get a little bit of success, you know, it becomes your identity. Like it becomes, right. I'm Seth Shaper. I'm Andrew Dawson. You know, this is who I am, this person in this, I've created this, this network, whether it's big or small, in our case, we're not a massive national brand, but you've created a little brand, you know, a little network of people yep. who know you as this person. I mean, the reason I'm here today is you're like, Hey, you work in trafficking. And so, uh, there may be days you don't feel like that. You know, you're like, why, you know, why am I not just focused on this. Why am I interested? Why the only thing I could think about is going and riding my bike yeah, on the Western slope right now, you know, yeah. um, you know, some days it's like that. I, I don't know. I don't know the process. I don't know the, the answer to how do we fix that? Or if you even can, or if it's more about managing or if you should. Right. And that's yeah. something I've been exploring for myself is, is that, well, I, I have guilt attached to not doing the thing that is my current identity goal. Yeah. Right. And, uh, but, I also have a tremendous amount of uh, enjoyment from certain things. Maybe that maybe I'm stopping and uh, while I'm driving and looking out at a lake, 
you know, just sitting and it's beautiful. And I enjoy that for a moment. Like that's also part that has an equal value as the other things as I, I'm like trying to help identify or like remesh and have more grace for myself on places that I feel like I've failed and had and carry guilt on, um, in, engaging in things that are not my primary thing, because really my primary thing is like you say, being me and realizing that the value of what I do on all of the things that I do are, are the beautiful part that allows me to be the full me that shows up on the pointed thing. That's the goal, you know? So yeah. And valuing it and knowing it's not gonna, um, well, you see those guys who they're accountants for 30 years, you know, 30 years and they, one thing went to school for it, accountant put in 30, 40 years, retire, yeah. never have another dream. I think it's a personality thing. That impresses me. I'm like, yeah, I could not yeah. do that. I don't, I don't think we can expect today. that as, uh, the personality or the creative mindset. I, I don't think you can expect that of us over here. I think that's, that's trying to make it something it's not. And I think that's a battle we, you face as a, an entrepreneur, man, like that's something you, you've got to manage. And, you know, we can write a, you can write a book on it and say, here's how you fix it. But I think we're all individual humans. Yeah. So like we've all got our own our ways of, of figuring those things out. And I think it's the guys who figure that out and learn how to not curb it or fix it, but value it for what it is and control it in a way that's like uh, strategic. I think those guys accomplish the most, you know, they learn how to battle that. So, oh yeah. Or like yeah. going back into the quality conversation, um, I have learned to realize that um, chasing quality is sometimes harmful for communication for the content. Uh, social media is a great example of this. If it's too polished, it doesn't communicate well to people as, uh, you know, and so like this podcast, same thing sometimes I'm just working with, and all of my films actually now, I think I'm like, I work within the confines of what they, the reasonable access to quality is, and then just try not to push it too far. Cause we used to spend, I mean, and sometimes it's fun too, and it's helpful to like spend an entire day setting up a film scene, like in one shot, you know, um, because it just needed it. And sometimes yeah. it does and that's fun, but it's usually pointless mm -hmm. for, for content. So, um, yeah, no, I think you have, there's a, you know, there's different phases we go through. I think you need to improve, uh, every, every step of the way, mm -hmm. you know, at first I think, uh, quantity is a, a learning process over quality. You know, you're, you're working through the swamp of just learning and growing and getting better. And we talked previously about failing, you know, and I think failing is important to get to quality. And, um, I think that's a huge, huge part of that entrepreneurial process. You know, that's been hard. Sorry to, to interrupt, but this has no. been hard for me to, um, teach to my kids. Um, they've been doing better. Actually, jujitsu has helped my oldest a lot. Oh yeah. That. Um, but that like go fail, like doing something easy. Well, is not nearly as beneficial or helpful or exciting to me as a dad or to anybody out there than you failing at something really hard. Yeah. Yeah. The hard thing to teach people. And, uh, you know, done is better than perfect. In most cases there are, it depends on the industry, I guess there's gotta be some perfection too, but really is there ever perfection in what we're doing? But, um, sometimes, especially in those creative moments, you've got to get through because you can kind of get lost in the, in that that creativity of like, I don't, I want it to be per, you know, I want to, there to be perfection here. And you kind of get hung up and sometimes you just got to get it done. Um, 
you know, in charity work, that that is perfection is probably the furthest from our our uh, goals. You know, when it comes to this work, I think it's true with art too. Entirely, yeah. I think I think that yeah. perfection and chasing perfection is the antithesis of uh, helpful for artists and yeah. for anybody. But I love what you said. You have to at times engage with trying to do the best that you can possibly do and fail at yeah. getting there. Yeah, because you otherwise don't know how to get there. Yeah. So I, um, I've always looked at quality as like there being a threshold that you have to get past. Uh, this is true, I think, for music. I think it's true for film. Um, you have to get past that threshold, and then the rest of this is a playground. And you like you are within the acceptable quality to be able to communicate or move somebody emotionally or whatever. Um, now we're just in a playground uh, of that spot, but you have to get past that threshold. And yeah. and in order to know how to get to the far end of that playground, you have to fail a lot and try really, really hard. But the fun part is that when you don't hit those points, once you're in that playground, you're still in the playground and you're doing a good job of communicating an idea. And um, I think we've had discussions about the YouTube stuff. And, yeah. And as you are attempting to make it 1% better, every time um, you're, you're getting something out, um, you'll learn stuff, obviously, that um, that you carry into every next thing and it becomes habit. I know with this, I'm going um, to run into all kinds of things that I don't know yeah. about how yeah. my conversational style works or doesn't work, um, but something in particular, I would, um, I'd be interested in know learning what you've learned is uh, like the idea of how titles and thumbnails are literally... Um, more important than the video almost you know like yeah and i got what you've experienced around that and yeah i think like, there's yeah i mean i am definitely the furthest from being an expert i am in this learning phase of that and i face this um dichotomy of you know where are we are we marketing and faking out people you know is it clickbaity like is this stupid? You know, like, mm. are we falling too much into this social media psychology um, based on, especially the industry I'm in of human trafficking? It's like, how do we, but what we're doing isn't working. It isn't connecting these, these networks and these people to this issue. Yeah. And so you've got to, there's got to be some translation in here. And yeah, I've, I've definitely done some uh, deep diving into how do we, uh, at, we're just starting. I mean, we're, we don't have any success on the board as yeah. far as that goes, but You've got to, you know, look at social media, how people click through, how they they engage with what you're doing, and you got to got to look at like what are people interested in, and what are the trends in like, you know, what's going to connect these people to this. And if you you're connected in a way where you're not lying, you're not putting out clickbait, but you're you're doing something that speaks the language of this culture that we're in, but then connects it to what you're already doing that's real, and there's an authenticity there. You're not you're not just trying to build a platform or create followers or just build a brand or something, but you're really trying to do an honest work of connecting like your work, your issue, your thing to this, to this social media driven, low attention span. Uh, even myself, I mean, you get, you get caught in these, these, like you're just sitting there and just going like, how do we, you know, and there's certain thumbnails that you'll click on that that you get to it and you're like, this content is, is junk. You know what I mean? This is just, this is clickbait, even though it's connected to the content. Um, there's a, I think there's a, there's people who will draw the line and say, no, I'm not going to participate in this. I'm not going to be a part of that. But then there's other people. And I think this is a better way to approach it is 
what can we learn from this? How do we speak this language to communicate this this thing to these people? And instead of just drawing a line in the sand and going, nah, you know, and I'm 41. So I'm getting to that point where, where I'm kind of going, oh, that, these kids these days, but uh, in an effort to to make a difference with whatever you're going after, you've got to you've got to start learning that language of what's going to engage these people. And that's been the process I've been going through is is how do we we market this or how do we design this? How do we put this in an interesting way? And that's it's a whole skill set to learn. I mean, it's a whole new skill set in an effort to connect people to, in our case, anti-human trafficking work and education and awareness. You know, it's a battle. Uh, on a battlefront that we didn't know we were going to have to fight. And if you're willing to to go after that, I think there's good at the other end. The idea of not engaging with social media is something I got really good at. I was like, I'm not going to do it. And I realized that I was actually just literally being antisocial <laughs> because of the way that the world interacts. Mm-hmm. And so not that I need to be a performance as a character for anyone else. Like if I have something I want to share, I can, because it's me and I, but but then there's that mechanism of what's self-serving, right? Um, and uh, what's others serving. And something you said that I thought was really interesting before we started recorded was the um, the idea of identifying, like, if you're uh, promoting something that, that shows who you are and what you're doing that almost could look like bragging in a certain way, but you're actually communicating to followers that care about you and care about what how they're engaged with you um it's actually serving them right so like there's this balance and you can't control others perception of you so if you're feeding this camp but grossing this camp out like what do you how do you play with that yeah oh yeah i mean that's the i give me the easy answer yeah no yeah no that that's something that's always weighing on my mind i come from a a ministry background as a a pastor for many years and um it's acceptable to um, preach uh, a message on Sunday, every Sunday, and to share something that is valuable, very valuable content for and a spiritual lesson or something that God has spoken to you to speak to these people. That's acceptable. But when you look at social media, YouTube, you start putting out content, podcast, pastors are podcasting. There's this fine line you walk of, oh, I've got nothing to say. I've talked with a ton of guys who are like, what would I say? You say something every Sunday, you know? Uh, and I'm not ad- advocating for every pastor to start a podcast. I'm just saying we, we, there's this there's this wall that says this is ego and then this is acceptable. And I think we should just move that wall, you know? Right. Or get rid of it completely. Yeah. To go, hey, if, if there's something of value... Um, no matter what people perceive you as, uh, whether they're thinking this is who you are, this is what you're trying to do. Um, I think you got to get good at just not caring what they think. You know, one of the best things you can do is just to be like, listen, you don't know me, you know, like this is, we're trying to do some good here. And, uh, if you were to hang around a little bit, you would know my heart. And that's what I love about podcasting and a long form conversation. Yeah. You get to see people's heart, you know? I agree. I, I, I'm terrible at that. I'm, cognitively aware that i i need to uh not give a crap about what other people think but my gut doesn't feel no at I, all I do the same I, thing yeah you know 100 like oh why are they gonna think i know <laughs> exactly and it definitely is a muting agent for me yeah um i still i mean i'm just all the time yeah you know like this podcast is something that i'm wanting to turn into my um my job for myself like it's it's important for me to get it out and i'll have it out you know try to 
set a schedule because it is easy enough and it is not just me. Yeah. It's like me and somebody else all the time, which will be really, it'll be helpful. It feels a lot less self-serving because I don't feel like it is self-serving. I mean, like, yes, I'm yeah, whatever. Maybe it is a little bit. I, I get to have fun conversations with people all day, yeah. right? but I also get to share that with other people. And, yeah. um, I think keeping that heart, um, and keeping that, that purpose in, in whatever we're doing, if we're asking the question, uh, what, how can I serve people? You know, how can I, how can I bring something that's helpful to them? And you're, you always have that in your mind and whatever you're doing, um, you know, business or podcasting or YouTube channel or whatever, if you're considering the, the sort the people who are going to receive this versus this vain, um, vanity publishing of yourself to, to out to the world to say, I enjoy seeing my face on camera and, and hearing my own voice. Um, I, I think that changes the content. I think it changes the stuff that's coming through you and, that empathy and sympathy and, and solving problems for people or having uh, great conversations that maybe inspire someone to, to change and do something new. Um, I, I think you've got to keep that, that core. And that's that self-learning self-leadership of going, why am I doing this? You know, why am I, why am I putting this out there? Is it for me? Um, obviously creative outlet, you benefit from it. Heck that's, that's really a part of the creative process, but also uh, being truer to yourself and going, Hey, I can do something to help people in this world. Yeah. No matter what it is, I could be running a restaurant, you know? Right. I think that also the fact that society is so used to getting their, like choosing which content to engage with based upon what yeah. attracts them or what they know and they're comfortable with, um, gives a different, um, reality to when I put something out. So if I, if ever you put something out and that's good, uh, like you don't, you doing that is not forcing them to watch it. It's making it available yeah. so that they can. Mm -hmm. um, and that is, a, is an important switch for me that I need to like continue to just remind myself of is like, I am giving content that people are, are able to watch if they want to. Yeah. Um, and I'm, uh, but I'm not asking hundreds or thousands of people or millions or whatever to like, to watch it. They can, if they want. Yeah. Like there's no, I'm not forcing anything. So. I, I heard once, uh, write the books that you would want to read. If you can't find the book out there, then write the book that you want to read. And I keep that in my mind a lot. What, what do I want to hear? What rewind the clock 10 years ago in our journey in this anti-human trafficking work? What would I want to be told back then based on what I've learned now? And that is an ego. It's, it's simply there, there are people out there in the same, we, we meet them every, every time I speak in an event, uh, I speak at a lot of events. Uh, around the nation, we train law enforcement. We speak at you know Kiwanis and and massive you know um, we do school assembly tours and like we're we connect with these people and there's a lot of common questions that keep coming up and that's really the heart of what we're doing is answering those questions in a digestible way and breaking down. I heard this two years ago: an educator takes something simple and they complicate it. And a communicator takes something complicated and they simplify it. And I, I consider myself not, maybe not a good one, but a communicator where let's take this massive issue of human trafficking and let's break it down and provide something valuable that's digestible. And I love, uh, I love what you said about you're not forcing that on the masses. It's not like you're cramming it down their throat. How we, how we look at social media and how we, uh, consume content, we choose what we watch. And that isn't a, a forcing it, uh, a pushy sales thing. It's simply, this is who we are. We're putting it out there. If you are our people, 
if we, you connect with this content and who we are, then we're your people. That could be a hundred people. It could be a thousand people. It could be a million people. Who cares what the, how many people it is? This is just the tribe that we're serving and not focusing on, Hey, this has to have 8 million views. This has to have all these, this, this notoriety and fame and turn into something worth millions of dollars. Yeah. It's not the goal. And I think changing that goal to, Hey, we're going to serve these people, no matter how many there are. Yeah. Uh, I think that keeps you true to, to what it's about. It helps you to, to put it out there in a, in a non-fearful way, have the courage to put it out there. So I think yeah, it's easy for people to look at Instagram or TikTok or YouTube and say, well, that's what I should be. Uh, so now I need to talk like that. I need to look like that. I need to light like that. I need to say those things. I need to say it the way that they do in order for me to be successful. And I think it's true with music, uh, like with music, it just, you play something that you love, you play a song that's your favorite song as much, you know, and, and record that. And then that's going to, you're going to find an audience. Same thing with stock footage. People will like go, I'm going to become a stock photographer. So now I need to travel to Alaska and go take pretty pictures. And it's like, how about your neighborhood? Because that's actually what people need and they don't like, and it's more interesting and it's, <laughs> but yeah. it's not interesting to you. Um, and I think that that's the same thing. It's like what, what, what's familiar to us seems unprofound to us, but it's actually really interesting to other people. So Absolutely. like, so promoting your, your truth of who you are and your honest character, uh, I think has, uh, well, it's the easiest once you can let go of the fear of being judged, like we were talking about. And it's also the most important, especially on the Te, you know, coattails of AI or what, well, not coattails, but AI is on our coattails, you know, coming in as being sentient beings, potential. Yeah. You know, potentially not potentially. It's crazy. It's going to be a thing. And like, these things are going to think for themselves, um, or these entities or entity or however you want to call it, but like being able to respect it as a thing as well and, uh, promote our, our true selves. And there's a lot of ideas there, but no, no, that makes sense. I, I think a couple couple things are going to happen with, uh, this, uh, AI situation. Um, you know, with AI coming out, all these crazy resources, uh, there's going to be a, a massive, massive move forward with all of that. And it's going to be incredible. And I'm a fan. I'm like, this is, this is awesome, but there's also going to be, uh, a huge opportunity and open openness, uh, market. Well, I don't know how to say it, but like, there's going to be this push there's going to be this need, I guess, would be the thing to say for uh, authenticity and human experience and and people really getting to know like what's going on in that mind of yours uh, as a person. And that's why I think it's important for people to, you know, we can t turn on the talking head voice and and the public speaker voice and communicate this this facade. You see it in in all kinds of industries where they're one way you know, one, one day or on the public stage in politics and then off of the stage or off of that platform, whatever it is, they're a different person. There's going to be a huge, huge value moment that can be added to allowing people like this forum here to see the authenticity and to get to know you, who you are. And I think that's going to be powerful. And I don't think AI can ever replace that. I think they can do specific jobs I think it's going to be advanced. I think it's going to be amazing, but really there's always going to be this baseline, um, baseline like need and desire to know a human being, you know? I, yeah, I, I think I disagree just a little bit. Yeah. I, I think yeah. AI will, um, will have interesting personalities and have its ability to communicate well. And I would 
fully welcome AI on my podcast, like for the idea. Oh, yeah. Because, you know, because, um, but I, th- I don't think that that should threaten us in the same way that, um, like, for example, if somebody has a different belief structure than you, it's interesting um, to have conversations with people like you and people not like you and, you know, people from different cultures or across the country or whatever, uh, or across the world. Or, you know, if an alien race showed up, um, <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. like literally, yeah. like, like, are we going to be like, no, we're afraid. I mean, yeah, sure. We would be afraid because yeah. that'd be weird, but, um, but it doesn't mute the importance or truth of their reality. And I think this is true for AI. So mm. I think AI has their babies right now and they're really smart um, and they're going to get really a lot smarter than us really fast. And the complexity of that uh, almost definitely has to engage into personality because it's a mechanism of understanding how to interact um, and even emotion. And I mean, especially emotion because with intelligence has a greater ability to probably experience that stuff. My point of saying all of that is that I, I think that it's, it, that fact makes it even more important for us to be able to be true to who we are and not play a part. Because, oh, the, yeah, because yeah, I agree with the, the AI. Yeah. I think the AI in my AI. You're not a fan of AI. You say what? You're not a fan of AI. Oh, I am. I'm, oh, I, I'm saying I, I'm saying as a tool right now. Yeah. But realizing that it will also be a being. So it's not, oh. so, so to me, it's not it's not an either or. It's a acknowledging that that's coming and it's close. Or by the time we release this podcast, maybe here, right? Like. Yeah. As, as quickly as stuff is coming. I think the thing that's slowing AI is people's adoption of it, not AI's growth. So, mm. um, and, and that's not going to take very long. That no. people, because it's so much better at so many things. For example, this podcast, if I, uh, I'm going to take the footage, I'm going to transfer it into this auto sync thing and I put it on a timeline and AI does the first edit. Mm-hmm. Um, all that takes under 10 minutes. Mm-hmm. And I have an hour and a half long conversation. Then I get to go choose and make sure that it sounds right and we're okay with it, right? Mm-hmm. That first edit is the worst thing you could ask a human to do. To hit there and go one, two, one, two, one, two, three, one. It's just an awful, not very fun job. And I'm watching for when you talk and then I back up and then I change the cut point. That's garbage. Like no one, and AI is not emotional about having to do that, right? So it works great. That's a great use case for AI in my opinion. Yeah. Um, Also, quick sidetrack, or it's the same idea. I can afford these microphones because they weren't hand milled by somebody. They were done with a machine. Mm-hmm. Um, there are certain things in life that I really like to pay for the handmade stuff. And there's a bunch of things that I like that were made by robots because it's way cheaper and functionally the same and probably not a fulfilling job for a human to do. So there's, there are mechanisms out or there are jobs out there, a lot of them that are going to be replaced with AI because AI will be faster, better, more reliable. Um, mm-hmm. and it will be sad that people are losing their jobs, mm-hmm. but the human fulfillment opportunity, if they take advantage of it, will be, uh, unmatched by any other technological Good. change, I think. But yeah, I guess I agree. Yeah. I think my, my approach was just more of a, um, AI being a good thing. I mean, yeah. seeing, uh, seeing where it goes is kind of exciting. I wasn't um, trying to accuse you of that. Of no, no, I, I think, yeah, I think, but. Um, there will be some value for, I mean, there, there's just this, my thought was, I mean, I said it before that it will be kind of nice to know a human made a kitchen table, you know what I mean? You know, that's going to be, there is going to be kind of a, an offshoot, I think of that maybe, but. And no, but I think that that'll be true with, and it should be true with music. Yeah. Because music, 
obviously AI is doing an Works exceptional job at some of the songs yep. that they're writing. Amazing, right? It's, 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 it's profound and it's exceptional, but then also having a, whatever you consider fully human, um, you know, song as well is great. Cause like, how is that going to affect the music industry? I'm, oh, I, I have no idea, but I, I think in the same way, because, because it's so ubiquitous to all industries and the impact of it, we're, we're going to have this conversation for everyone, for everything. It's like, do you want a real delivery driver or do you want the robot driver? Do you want the, the real lawyer or the, the chat GPT lawyer? Do you want, um, your food served by a robot or do you want it served by a server? And that choice of human engagement or robot engagement, I don't think it's highly likely that it converts into an ethics discussion um, and businesses engagement of it. I mean, mm -hmm. particularly right now when you've got the writer strike and, and yeah. I don't yeah. know where that's going to go, but the, the ability for Chad GPT to write, to write episodes, excellent TV show, excellent stuff. Yeah. Um, especially with just a little bit of feedback and then have it, a writer tweak it. Mm -hmm. I mean, like that's, that's just, we're here already on that conversation. So I, I don't know. I don't know where it all goes, but I, I think that there's um, a fear from a lot of people that um, they want to bury their head in the sand. They want to pretend like it's not here. Uh, they don't want to know how it's threatening their reality. And I'm like, man, this thing is like, you just type in an image and uh, or uh, words and it creates a beautiful image and videos right around the corner for that. Yeah. Um, yeah. And like that, I don't know. It's yeah. Fascinating. And, and threat act will evolve human yeah, the human species has always adapted and yeah. I think we're going to have to, you know. And, and in the same way though, like you, you could take uh, statistics that you otherwise wouldn't be able to process with such accuracy or outside of the box thinking because of our limitations with, you know, human yeah. brains um, and maybe identify that people that buy this type of bread from only Kroger stores on 10 a.m., for some reason are always the people that are trafficking people, you know, like, yeah. like just find weird correlations that could help you better understand, or even know that like at 4 PM is the best time to make communication with these people because yeah. they're the most aware and, uh, um, open to feedback and not tired or something, you know, yeah. like, I, I mean, I who knows? It's going to be some, yeah, I've already heard a um, couple of organizations. We already use some software in our investigations, but, you know, we were having a conversation um, last week about child pornography and how um, we we are already seeing some of these AI art programs creating child pornography. Oh, that's art, right? Yeah, it's really sick stuff, and producing pornography yeah, right. on a massive scale, which already affects human neurology and our, you know, right. and how we interact with human beings and how that's going to um, be a detriment to this this issue of human trafficking. And then we're dealing with, you know, pedophiles and individuals who are, um, you know, mass distributing, you know, AI generated child pornography. And, uh, it's, uh, and then you've got something that's going to change the landscape that we haven't figured out yet. Yeah. And you've got the identification of, is it real or is it not? That's becoming yeah. nearly impossible. We're already doing it. Yeah. Yeah. It's nearly impossible to identify it really or will be. Yeah. It's incredible yeah. to, to see the good and the bad coming, um, with all the AI that's coming out a lot of good, a lot of good. Yeah. But then there's also going to be those nefarious individuals who we're going to have a whole new landscape of exploitation to yeah. end up going after. And that, and change is always painful, but this change is going to be fast and big. So it's like, it's good stuff. Hang on. <laughs> It'll yeah. be fun. Yeah. But yeah. Yeah. Dude, thank you.
it was an honor to be here, man. Dude, absolutely. Thank Great you. conversation. Thank you. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider sharing with other people you think might gain value from it. My name is Seth Schaefer. This is Behind the Act.